Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We have been studying the book of Matthew, and as I've shared many times, um, I stuck back on your sermon notes as a reminder that Matthew was a Jewish man writing about a Jewish Messiah to a Jewish audience. Okay? Very important. And over, as we've gone through it, Matthew has continually been um, presenting this to the Jewish people, the importance of who Jesus is and what he fulfilled. And so um, we've gone through the lineage, the birth, and all that kind of stuff, but we spent the last four and a half months um, or so looking at the instruction of the Messiah um, and how he has applied his message Anybody remember the core of his message? It comes down in one word. Repent. Greek? Metanoia, which means? Well, no. no. Good. No. No. What, what, is it, what does it literally mean? Change the way you think. Change the way you think. That's what he told. He said, change the way you think because the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Where the king is, his kingdom is. Change the way you think. Again, if you change the way you think, you ultimately change the way you act. And so, Messiah, while he's on the earth, Jesus, is training the people, teaching the multitudes, what does it mean, what does it look like to change the way you think? So, all the way from the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, you have heard it said, but I... Say unto you, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery. So he, he's going on. And so recently we saw that he was having them change the way they think about children, even. And said, you know, let the children come unto me, forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. But the Jewish people saw the children as nothings. And so Jesus is elevating them in their, in their midst. All this was going on. But as it was going on, Jesus, a multitudes of time, reminded his disciples, and even mentioned to the multitude, that there was an ultimate purpose of his coming. And that was that he was going to head to Jerusalem, and he was going to be offered as a sacrifice, and on the third day he would rise from the dead. Today, we embark upon that final week, which is commonly referred to as the Passion Week. We're going to spend three months on this last week of Jesus' life. But what's really fun for me, again, the, the, the New Covenant is built upon the foundation of the Old Covenant, okay, the Old Testament. If you don't fully understand the Old Testament, if you don't see what Jesus has been done, what God, Jesus, has done even prior to Israel, between the times of Adam and Avram, and then during the days from Avram to Jesus, then you really don't fully understand even the New Covenant. Paul said that these things are, are based upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so what's fun is that when Jesus comes into this final week, this final week fulfills the first three of the spring feasts. Jesus' coming had been foreshadowed, had been prophesied in the feasts of Israel for thousands of years. 
The prophets had been declaring. So Isaiah 53, if you read it to a Jewish person, they, they swear it's a New Testament passage. Because it is so in detail about what would happen to Christ. And so as I shared even in the um, testimony time about the guy named Adam at the rescue mission from Isaiah 48.16, if you haven't looked that up because you didn't know it yet, it's exciting because God placed the Trinity, the triunity of him, his own person, of the Godhead, right there in the midst of the prophets. Zechariah chapter 2, Zechariah chapter 6. You can read the same thing. All those things were there for the Jewish people to see, and they continually missed it. Sadly, we miss it too. Because we put aside the Old Testament. Because we're the church. And so we care about the writings of Paul, maybe the writings of John. But many times, even the Gospels are dissed. Dissed, disrespected, and dismissed. Because they are not um, in our dispensation. So we only study the stuff that are... And that's so wrong. Because I believe in progressive revelation. It's wrong because I believe in progressive... It's because there is progressive revelation. And that God has continually revealed more and more and more. And the revelation that he gives us is built upon the foundation of what he gave us in the past. And so Paul quotes from the Old Testament... The Old Covenant. Everything he was teaching them. I've not shunned to declare to you, he told the elders of Ephesus. I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Well, he hadn't written his epistles yet. The Gospels weren't even written yet. So what was he sharing with them? The Old Covenant. And so as we come into this week, this is exciting. And so the Jericho, it seems like we're starting this early, but the passage in Jericho, this is almost like the prelude. So this was going to be two messages, but Bob Schneider is going to be coming in on Father's Day. And so he's he's going to speak on Father's Day. So I'm slamming together Jericho and and, and the entrance to Jerusalem. But I was going to entitle this, this going into Jericho as the prelude. It's all part of the entrance. This is all part of Jesus is coming into Jericho in the proclamation of who he is. And so today we want to look at then the presentation of the Messiah. First of all, in Jericho, as Chuck read, we see as he comes in, there's a little discrepancy here between um, Matthew and some of the other Gospels because in, in Mark, I think it is, we read about who? Who's in Jericho? Who's the blind man? Bartimaeus, okay? But in those Gospels, it doesn't say that there's not more than one. It just refers to the one, okay? So I want to deal with that real quick, and I'm not going to spend time on it. But that's an important thing. If you ever get someone say, wow, there's a discrepancy. It's not a discrepancy, okay? It's just a focus on Bartimaeus, because he's probably the one who was really speaking. And so in the picture, that's who? Bartimaeus, right? Did you know they had cameras back then? Anyways. Um, anyways, and so... Yeah, this is amazing, huh? You didn't know what Jesus looked like. He didn't really have long hair, though. That's, that's erroneous. That's, that's the side. We'll talk about that later. Jesus did not have long hair. John had long hair. Jesus had short hair. Let's do it. Why? Why would Jesus have short hair and not long hair? Think of this. Why? Because he's not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. He wasn't a Nazarite. Nazarites had long hair. But it was a shame for Jewish men to have long hair. That's why a Nazarite had long hair. It made him stand out. Jesus wasn't a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. He didn't have long hair. He was a standard, normal Jewish man. Again, read Isaiah 53. Okay? So all those pictures, they're wrong. All right. Anyways. 
I've got the photo right here. Let me show you. Anyways, what? Because they didn't cut their hair, because they were Nazarites. Yeah. Anyways, so it's a cultural thing. Okay. Anyways, say again. It's wrong on so many levels. It is. That's okay. So just we 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 it's so we are so affected by by arts and culture and stuff like that. Anyways, so he goes in. Okay, and and we have this cry of the blind men, which is very exciting. As we come in, they give Jesus praise. Look at what they say to him. Jesus, what? Son of David. Now, this is an amazing thing. They don't know what's going on. They ask what's happening, right? And they're told Jesus of Nazareth is coming, right? Instantly, they say what? Jesus, son of David. And we'll get to have mercy on me in a moment, okay? What's so important about son of David? Say it again. You're the kingly lineage. It was the title of Messiah. They equated Jesus immediately as the Messiah. These are two blind guys in Jericho. What was their, their, the realm of their, their travels? Jericho. Yeah, it's not like they got on a bus and they went someplace. They didn't have buses. It wasn't like they got on the caravan and they took a trip. They're from Jericho. They always were in Jericho. And here they are in Jericho. They've already heard of all the things that Jesus did. And there was no doubt in their mind who he was. Remember this when we get to the chief priests. You get it? We got some simple blind men, and I don't mean it derogatorily, who heard the evidence and knew who he was. And based upon their belief in who he was, the next thing comes out. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, We want to see. Open my eyes that I might see. How cold is that? One of the things I love to pray as I go into my quiet time is from Psalm 119. Open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things from thy law. They knew who Jesus was, and based upon who Jesus was, they knew that he had the power to open their eyes. They were blind. How many people do you know walk up to to a blind guy? Rub their fingers over whatever Jesus did, put spittle in the mud on it, and all of a sudden, Steve, years ago, I think it's been years now, actually, you gave a a, a long little thing about the eyes. You need to do it again sometime. It's amazing. To all yeah, You're agreeing, right? All that's involved on the medical side in the eye. What all happened in this moment for this guy to see? We don't know if there was retinal damage. We don't know what was synapses going on in the brain. I mean, we don't know what was being, being caused. But Jesus did as the creator he instantly, I mean, do you get it? Instantly heals this guy. It's an amazing. Think about the effect that must have had upon the crowd when he was there. And so this prelude, this multitude is now coming 
from Jericho. They've just witnessed, again, this mighty miracle. And now they're coming up through, and I don't have pictures here. I should have put it up here because I, I meant to do this. Um, Marsh and I were there many, many years ago. Some of you have been there. Chuck, Karen, did you guys do a Wadi Walk? <laughs> okay. Did you ever do the Wadi Walk? Wadi, Wadi Walk. Yeah. We were there for a study trip, so we spent most of our time in the wilderness. Um, but between, and we actually walked then, um, this Wadi Walk. So between Jericho and Jerusalem, okay, and this is important when you go to do the, uh, um, the um, who's my neighbor? Good Samaritan. Um, there's just this ridge along the side of a channel, okay? A Wadi is like a dry gulch. It's where the, the river, the waters rush from the mountains. So Jerusalem is up in the mountains. Jericho is down at the Jordan um, Valley. Okay, and so to get from one to the other, you walked along the edge. And sometimes it's literally like you know one of these. If you look down at the, the squares, sometimes it's like that square. Maybe it's just a little bit more than that square wide um, along the edge. And you think, you're thinking caravan here. We're thinking camels walking along this thing as well. Okay, and so that was their highway. Okay, so they would walk down along the Jordan Valley to Jericho, and then they would travel up to Jerusalem. Okay, because Jerusalem was an elevation higher. That's why you always hear up to Jerusalem. It's not a matter of going north; it's a matter of going up in elevation. Okay, and so, so you can imagine this throng, this multitude who is hanging out with Jesus, and in some places they're 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 probably traveling almost single file or two or three abreast at the most. Make sense? But there's this huge, long throng of people that are going with them. Do you think it would attract just a little bit of attention? Okay. And so they come up and they come into the, the, the Olivet area. Okay. And that's where we get into 21. They get into the Olivet area. And, and when they're in the Olivet area, okay, it, it's going to be, at this moment, Shabbat. It's going to be Sabbath, okay? You can look at some of the other Gospels, okay? And this is when the dinner happens, when the alabaster of oil is broken, okay? This is always in the book of Matthew, okay? So you kind of have to bring some of the things together. And I'm going to, in just a moment, share with you a calendar, okay, that has some of that on there. Um, and so you've got to kind of picture all these things that are going on at this moment. But from Olivet, then, he sends out his disciples, and he tells them, to go into the city, and, and you're going to find a place where there's a what? There's a donkey. And then the full of a donkey, this Matthew says, right? And I want you to do what with it? I want you to take it and bring it to me. What, you, what, what would that be called? Horse thieving. <laughs> Think about it. In the Wild West, that's, that's, you'd be shot. Yeah, it's a donkey thieving. Anyways, but we'll just bring it into our day, okay? And, uh, but you get shot for that. In the Wild West, okay? Say again? Grand Theft Auto, yeah, exactly. And so, and Jesus says to him, okay, so if someone's, someone says, you can almost kind of picture the conversation going on, right? Uh, Lord, doesn't somebody own that? Yeah, but don't worry about it. Psalm 24 says that I own everything. You know? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who are in it. So it really is mine anyway. Yeah, Lord, but are they really going to, you know, think that one through? Well, no. In the end, if, they, if, they, if any says, anybody says anything to you, you just tell them what? The Lord has need of it. Oh, that's comforting. You do that next time. Go take something and say, yeah, Jesus says he has needs of this. 
It's really, see how that helps you. Anyways, but it did. Isn't this amazing? I mean, because Jesus is who? God. Get it? Omniscience. He knows where this thing's at. He knows how it's going to play out. Could, could you imagine being the two disciples? You're told to do this and you're doing it. Well, you're still waiting what? For someone to say something about these donkey and the foal. I mean, you know, what's this all about? So anyway, so they take him and they take, take it back to Jesus, right? And so as we go in, we're going to see three different aspects of this entrance that are very, very exciting. So they grab this, this donkey, they take it to him, okay? And elsewhere we're told that they lay their clothes on the donkey. But as we're told that he comes into Jerusalem, okay, we're told that the people put out palm fronds. We'll get to that in a moment. And they also put out their clothes, or they put out cloaks and stuff like that on the ground, okay? This is very important. Again, as a, again, a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience about a Jewish Messiah, because these are all Jewish stuff that's going on here, okay? In 2 Kings 9, verse 11 to 13, we read, remember, Ahab is the king, but God is going to wipe out the house of Ahab, okay? <clears throat> the house of Omri. Ahab is the son of Omri, and he's going to wipe out the house of Omri, and he's going to do so through a man named Jehu, okay? So he sends a prophet, um, the prophet talks to Jehu, okay? And then Jehu comes back out. Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, is all well. Stop for a moment. Jehu came out to the servants of his master. Who was his master? Say again? King Ahab. That's exactly right, because Jehu is the general of Ahab's army. So these are going to be servants of Ahab. So Jehu comes out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, Ah, you know this man and his babble. And they said, You're lying! They said, A lie! Tell us, tell us what he said. So he said, Well, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says Yahweh, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. So, what do you think it meant when they took off their cloaks and they put it on the steps for him to stand on? They were nodding as king. Well, not, not Messiah, but king. But why? Why did they do the... What was, what's, what's the deal with the garments? They were acknowledging him as king. Clearly they said, Jehu is king, Jehu is king. But why? Why did they take off their garments and, and, and put it on the, on, the, on the steps for him to go walk on? Say again? I heard somebody. Nope. Richard? Yes. How is it? How, why, why do you think it would be like that? Good. That's exactly right, Richard. Exactly. You're, this is symbolic of you. This is your coat. Everybody knows it's your coat. And now you are saying what? We are placing ourselves under you. We acknowledge you to be our authority. Our ruler. Yeah, yeah, Richard, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Richard, it wasn't you. Anyways, <laughs> you'd be taking off your coat, too. Excellent. So anyways, but here it is, right? So they, this is the picture, then, of what's happening. The disciples did this prior to coming in. They took off their cloaks, put it on the donkey for Jesus to sit on. And then as he's coming into the city, all the people are taking off their cloaks, and they're throwing them on the ground. They're also taking palm fronds. This is exciting. A little detail, but it's very exciting. Okay? Why do you think they're taking palm fronds and throwing them on the ground? 
They may not fully understand what they're doing on this one either, but this is really exciting when it comes to the feasts. Anybody know anything about palm fronds? When were they used for Israel? Other than they were very plentiful all around and they're just throwing <coughs> branches. I mean, you know, they're throwing branches on the ground, you know, so the donkey gets twisted up in the branches. Excellent. That's exactly right, Karen. The Feast of Tabernacles. This is all about at the Feast of Tabernacles. Sachath is what it's called, okay? And Sachath literally is the, the, the um, booths that they were supposed to make. And they made them with these palm fronds and stuff. And the whole idea of Sachath, Tabernacles, was for them to remember how they walked through the wilderness and that and the whole concept of them spending 40 years in the wilderness was the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day, that Yahweh dwelt in their midst. And Yahweh declares, both through Isaiah and through Zechariah, that there would be a time when Yahweh himself, he was going to come and he was going to once more dwell in their midst. Do you realize that when it comes to the millennial reign of Christ, the only feast, the only feast that all the nations, all the nations, not just Jews, all the nations will have to observe is the Feast of Tabernacles. When all the nations will be coming, will have to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And if they do not come, then God himself will withhold the reign for an entire year until the next Feast of Tabernacles where they can figure it out and decide to what? Submit and come. But why? What's so big about the Feast of Tabernacles? Because it's all about the tabernacling presence of Yahweh on the earth. That's what John 1 is all about. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and we read the Word was God. But in the Greek, literally, it is doublets okay, that connect one to another. What it says is, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, God was the Word, is what it says in the Greek. Check me out. God was the Word. It's a definition of who God is. Not a definition of who the Word is. It's a definition of who God is. God is the Word. It's stronger than just saying Jesus is God. Because it's not the Word was a God, which is what the Jehovah Witness want to tell you. But it's a definition of who God is. God is the Word. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, the word dwelt literally in the Hebrew would be tabernacled among us. And we beheld his chabod in the Hebrew, his glory, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the shechana chabod, the tabernacling glory of God on the earth. He was Yahweh in the flesh. And what's very exciting in this very this moment, we're going to see this as we go on to the prophetical nature and the paschal nature of this as well, is that these, guys, these people unwittingly, unknowingly, are fulfilling what was all declared about Jesus. And they're throwing these palm fronds down, which was this acknowledgement of the fact that Yahweh was there in their midst. The king, the king had come. So we then slide to the prophetical nature. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So Jesus is fulfilling this. We saw this as this means stated. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fool of a donkey. Okay? So Jesus, again, knows the prophecies. And so he's fulfilling the prophecy as well. Okay? 
And so he comes in there. But what's really more exciting about this prophetical nature is not just him riding the donkey. That's kind of fun, okay? And the people are putting out the, 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 the cloaks and the, and the palm fronds and stuff. But now as he's coming in, okay, on this donkey, okay, the people are thronging all around him, right? They're, the multitudes are all there. And there's a shout that's beginning to be redundant over and over again. They're crying out what? Hosanna. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the son of David, right? Hosanna, Hosanna. Again, that comes from Psalm 118, 19 to 29. So keep your finger there in Matthew if you want to, but we're going to go over to Psalm 118 and we're going to read this because... This is in a, a grouping of psalms. It's called the, the Psalms of Ascent. And so when the, um, the children of Israel would go to the temple to worship God, they would sing these psalms of ascent. So that's why you see that at the top of a lot of these psalms, it says a psalm of ascent, a psalm of ascent, a psalm of ascent. And so they, were, they would sing these as they would go. And so Psalm 118 um, is a very messianic psalm um, with them looking forward to What's going to happen, okay? And we'll come back to the Hebrew there in a moment, okay? But beginning at verse 19, Psalm 118, verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise Yahweh. This is the gate of Yahweh, through which the righteous shall enter. Now, again, I'm not saying it has to be this way, okay? But when you see the righteous, literally it could be translated the righteous one as well. It's not capitalized there, and it shouldn't be necessarily capitalized, because then as the translator, you become an interpreter. But if I'm going to be the translator slash interpreter this moment, <laughs> make sense? I see this as uh, prophetic as well. This is messianic. It's through this gate that the righteous one will enter, okay? And so this is exciting, because as the people would come up, they would understand how, how exciting this was, and they're coming the way that, that Messiah would be coming, Okay? And so it says, this is the gate of Yahweh through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my deliverance or my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was Yahweh's doing. It is miraculous, marvelous, wonderful in our eyes. This is the day Yahweh has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We sing that, right? This is the day. Do you realize it's a messianic thing? I mean, this is, this is all about Palm Sunday, okay? The beginning of this Passion Week. These people would be singing, okay? This is the day Yahweh has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Yahweh. O Yahweh, I pray. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We have blessed you from the house of Yahweh. God is Yahweh, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. His chesed, his mercy, endures forever. This whole thing is so exciting as far as the coming of Christ that they're going to sing this about Messiah coming, but right on the heels of that, that, that Yahweh has come, what are they said to do then? The end of verse 27. What are they going to do? Bind the what? Bind the sacrifice. Again, they don't get it. They don't get it. But Messiah was coming in, and as Messiah came in, what were they going to do next? 
They were going to bind him to the altar and sacrifice him. They were going to crucify him. He was going to be sacrificed. They don't get it. When Jesus is being crucified, they still don't get it because we'll talk about this as we go over the next couple months. But he's literally the what? The sacrifice. And he is being bound to the horns of the altar. And his blood is being poured at the base of the altar. His blood is going to be sprinkled on the horns of the altar. Anyways, he's going to be anointed on the altar. It's going to be sprinkled on the horns of the altar. And the rest of his blood is going to be poured at the base of the altar, just as Leviticus 7 says. Leviticus 7? Leviticus 4? Leviticus 7, I think it is. Anyways, declares in the sin sacrifice how it needed to be done. And Jesus was going to fulfill that in great detail. This is exciting stuff. All this stuff is being prophesied and hinted at for thousands of years. And in this seven-year, seven-year, seven-day period, Jesus is going to, it's all going to happen. And so, so we have this psalm then where they're going to be declaring. Now, verse 25. Let's read what it says in English, at least in the New King James, right? Save now, I pray, O Yahweh. O Yahweh, I pray, send now prosperity. Now, that sounds like something that they would be saying, but it exactly is. Here's, here's what it literally says. Because in Hebrew, remember, we're going to read from right to left because they were left-handed. Anyways, and it was a proper, proper way to write. I've always felt very blessed. I knew that I had to be one of these 144,000 that have never been touched by a woman. Anyways, tell it to my kids, right? I beseech Yahweh, rescue now. I beseech Yahweh, bring success now. It doesn't need, necessarily mean prosperity. It's success. The word is success. Help us to be success. And so you can picture these people. When Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, what do they think? He's coming to rescue them from the Romans. And Israel is going to have this deliverance. They will once again be the power. They forgot that Hosea said that after 2,000 years, after two days, Israel will be revived. And on the third day, she'll be restored to power. Very soon after this, Israel is going to go into where? Oblivion. Such that theologies were going to be developed and designed to get rid of Israel because they didn't know what to do with Israel because Israel was gone. But now we know that after, again, as Hosea 6 came to pass, just like Jesus, just like God had declared it would be, that after 2,000 years, Israel will be revived. And we're told on the third day she will be restored to power. You think about that. I'm not making any declarations there. But you think about God's word. His prophecies always come to pass exactly like he meant it, okay? And God knows the day and the hour. We may not know the day and the hour, but God knows it. And it's coming, and it's happening. And I honestly believe it's in my lifetime. And so you see the gray hair, you know I mean it's coming short, okay? Now, could I be wrong? I could be wrong. It could come a thousand years from now. But according to God's word and what I understand, it's soon and very soon that we'll see the king again. This is going to be very exciting stuff. But right here, we have this Hebrew combination of two words. Do you know what that says? Hosanna. That's exactly what it says. Ho-shana-sha-na. You knew it said it. Yeah, exactly. Hosanna, rescue now. So what they're crying out is, rescue now. And what they didn't get was that he what? He would. Even better than delivering them from Rome, he was going to deliver them from death itself. How cool is that? They're praying, God, rescue us. God, make it successful. And God says what? I am. You just don't get it. It's bigger. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ever ask or think. And he had something so much better than what they thought. 
they thought this would be the greatest thing that there could be. But God had something better for them. A deliverance that was so much better than just a physical deliverance. And so they cry out with this prophetical um, statement. But then we had this Pascal um, part of it. Andrew, do me a favor. Okay, so I made 20 of these things, and then you guys kept packing it in and packing it in and packing it in and packing it in. I said, go and make 10 more. Anyway, so I got about 30 or 31 of these. So um, you can take one per family group or two or whatever. We have more. We can keep passing them out, and I can make more later, okay? Um, we have the technology. We can do this. Um, now, you want to keep this for the next three months. Because, <laughs> again, we're gonna go, it's going to take three months to go through this week. And, um, so I, I'm going to state this, okay, that clearly I'm submitting, giving this to you because I what? I love you. Yes. No, because I believe this. Okay? I believe this is what God's Word teaches. Okay? Now, I'm going to be honest. Could I be wrong? Ah, yeah, I could be wrong. Am I wrong? No, of course not. No, anyways, could I be wrong? Yes, of course I could be wrong, okay? Um, I know some of you here believe that Jesus died on Wednesday. Some of you might still believe that Jesus died on Friday. Um, I hope I convince you clearly that's not true. Um, You can deal with Wednesday, but I think Wednesday's not true because of the feasts as well. And so, just in the last couple weeks, I've numerous people have asked me about this thing. It would be really nice if you had one of these things put together. And so I spent a lot of time this week trying to put this thing together. So it's, there's probably going to be more things that it gets added to it and revamped a little bit. Um, but we'll talk about this in a moment, okay? So the Pascal nature, turn with me to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Exodus 12. Exodus 12. Because the very first part of this, again, this is all based upon what has been declared all the way back from, well, even back to the garden, um, where he's going to bruise his heel and, and, and crush his head. Um, but to the exodus of Israel, we have one more. How many more? Three more. If anybody wants one, you can put up your hand, and, and my lovely assistant, my handsome assistant, will help you. <laughs> I am thankful for Andrew so much. Um, amen. I, really, I mean that. So he's got a sense of humor. He does. All right. So verse 1 of Exodus 12. That's a good thing. You're exactly right, Donald. So now Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor take to his, his neighbor next to his house, take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall not be without blemish. Your, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. So on and so forth. Okay? So, we're given a timetable here, which is very exciting. This is in Exodus 12. 
This is, you guys tell me, when, when, when is this happening? They're in captivity in Egypt. Give me more details. The tenth plague. The death of the firstborn. One is, this is all going to be Passover. This is all happening the very day when, when the angel's coming. I want you to understand something. This, they weren't going to select something on the tenth day and wait four more days. The Passover's happening like this. They were going to take a, they were going to take a lamb, they were going to slaughter it, they were going to put the blood on it. Why is Moses, by God's direction, telling the people that in time memoriam in the future, would they be taking it on the tenth day and then slaughtering at twilight on the fourteenth day? If they, in fact, were going to take the, the, the lamb at that very moment and slaughter it and eat it that evening so that he could leave. Because it was setting a what? An example, a pattern. A pattern that would be fulfilled, that would be observed in Israel from this time forward. So, you can go to, not now, but you can go to Leviticus 23, and you're going to read in Leviticus 23 about all the different feasts that are there. The very first feast that's talked about is the weekly feast, and that's the, week of, or that's the weekly feast of what? Shabbat. Okay? So, even though it's Sabbath to us, we understand that concept. It was considered to be a weekly feast. And then they get into the, the, the annual feast, and the first annual feast is the, the feast of Passover. And on the hills of the feast of Passover is unleavened bread, which goes on for seven days. And so you can see on the notes there, I think it's number, note number two, where <clears throat> that the, the feast of Passover and the feast of unleavened bread began to be blended together. Okay? And, and so different of the writers are going to refer to them in different ways. Some of them refer to the feast as unleavened bread. Some of them refer to the feast as Passover. Some of them refer to the day, the Nisan 14, which was the day when the Passover lamb was going to be sacrificed. Some of them refer to that day as the day of preparation for unleavened bread, or what they then refer to as Passover. And so the seven-day feast of unleavened bread became known to them as an eight-day feast of Passover. Okay, is that confusing enough for you? Okay, so just think about think this one through. Okay, so as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you're going to read different terms. Okay, each of those four refer to them different ways depending on who they're writing to. Matthew is writing to who? Jews. Okay, John and Luke are writing to Gentiles. Mark is kind of a, a, a widespread thing. Okay, and so depending on who they're writing to depends on how they're going to respond. What they, what they say, okay? So I've got this there that you can kind of look at as we go, but it's going to be important as we come into here because on the 10th day, they were supposed to choose the lamb. And so on that chart, I believe, okay, based upon the four days, I believe based upon the three days that he was going to be in the, the, the belly of the earth, okay, if he was raised on the first day, take three from that, he was crucified on Thursday, take four days from that, it's Sunday, the first day of the week, okay? And that's the day that he's entering into Jerusalem. And that makes sense then with the Shabbat meal that was ha being had, um, which we read about in Luke, I think it is, where the, the alabaster jar of oil was being broken, which means that Jericho actually happened on Friday. Okay? If you're tracking with all that. Okay? So God gives us details in his word for a reason. Okay? I, I firmly believe that. That everything God puts in his word, there's a reason for, for, for him to put it in there, and it's for us to know something. And we're told to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly, 
rightly, not lightly, but rightly dividing the word of God. Okay? So it's important for us to spend time into whom much is given, much is required. And every single one of you have the ability to get into the Greek and Hebrew. You may not know Greek and Hebrew, but with the tools of e-sword and blue-letter Bible and all this kind of stuff, okay, just on my phone, with just my sword, Okay, I can come into the, the Greek and the Hebrew using Strong's Concordance numbers and all this kind of stuff. Okay, and then using the e-sword, I can get into all the. Now I know the Greek and the Hebrew, but still, even without a Greek and Hebrew, and I'm sharing this with other people now that you can do all this stuff even if you don't know Greek and Hebrew. There are so many tools that are out there that you can. And we are responsible if we don't know truth. If you're following a lie, if you're following deception, if you're following, um, that's not. You're going to be held responsible for that. I really believe that. Okay. So, anyways, so I believe, I believe, this is a Pascal event. What's Pascal? Having to do with the Passover. Okay. This is a Pascal event that's going on. This is the beginning of Passover. They are unwittingly, again, unwittingly, they are choosing their lamb. First Corinthians 15, five verse seven says, "Therefore, purge out." The old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And so, on that, what you have there, I believe this is all happening at this very moment. Okay, And from this very moment, Jesus is going to go into, on the same day, he's going to go into the temple. We're going to see this in a moment. He's going to have the purification of the temple. But then we're told, in verse 18, I think it is then, on the next morning. Okay, And so it happens here. And so you can read all the notes there. We'll talk about this as we go. Okay, but this is the beginning of everything that's going to go on. So from here, Jesus goes into the temple. He's going to purify the temple. And this is a big deal, okay? Because he goes in the house of God and he sees all the, the traders and all the, the money changers and all the, the people selling the, the goats and the, and the lambs and everything. And they're, and they're selling them for a profit and they're ripping people off. Thinks, think about bookstores and churches and coffee shops and churches and whatever. You can just... Think of what, however you want to apply all that, okay? I just, it's just, it's, it's a struggle for me. Um, but Jesus walks in and he looks at all this, this money stuff going on. And he says, my house shall be called a prayer for all nations. Isaiah 56, 7, that's what he's quoting. It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. Twice a year, we have a week of prayer and fasting. Not because we're super spiritual. But because... It is our desire to keep that as a focus of this assembly. Tonight, care group, we're going to try to take the last half hour at least to pray together. Wednesday nights, it's a struggle, right? But we try to make sure that we have a, special, a lot of time spent in prayer. Why? Because that's what God wants when we come together, that we're people who pray together. We're people who pray. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, okay? That we're not exclusive to a one nation, that we're praying for all nations, and we're open to the nations coming in. But you've polluted it. You've made it into a den of thieves. And that comes from Jeremiah chapter 7. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says Yahweh. I can't imagine what God thinks about what's going on in houses of worship. I mean, even this one. I'm not, I'm not saying we're, we're, we're exempt. And it's something for us to, to analyze. When you came today, did you come to worship God? 
Are we a collective group who are wanting to, to, to give God glory for who he is and what he's done? Or did you come because you wanted to get something? When we gather together, it's to give something. It's to give praise to God. Now, I understand there's a part where we're edified in this as well, as we gather together. But ultimately, the goal is, when we come together, to give God glory. That's what it's all about. And if your mindset's not that throughout the week coming into this day, it's not that. It is, as some shared, just punching tickets when you come to church. Well, the chief priests and the scribes, they were indignant at what was going on. Because as Jesus came in, and he's, and he's purifying the temple, and he's doing all this stuff, and the mayhem's going on, right? The children are still crying out what? Hosanna, Hosanna. And they get it. They understand this is a messianic thing. They understand what they're declaring. They understood the nature of the, the palm fronds. They understood the clothes being put down. They get what's going on. And they're indignant. Indignant. Do you realize, these are the, we don't have about Lazarus in, in Matthew. But you can go over to John. Right after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, what are we told? They wanted to kill him. They went in the plot to how they might kill him. When's the last time you saw somebody raise somebody from the dead? I mean, we're not talking medically. So these guys see this firsthand, and they what? Jealous, but they reject it. They want to kill him instead. They know exactly who he is. That's why I always say about Richard Dawkins, he's not an atheist. He's not an atheist. He's a God-hater. He knows there's a God, and he hates him. You ought to pray for salvation. Something's made him hate God. I don't know what it is. But he's not an atheist. He, doesn't, he really doesn't believe there's no God. He knows there's a God. And he hates him. You think about that with people that you meet. A lot of people who say they don't believe in God, believe in God. They've made a decision. And they're turned off God for a reason. These guys hate God. What was the reason of their indignation? The wonderful things he did. Could you imagine that? They hated him because of the wonderful things they did. They hated him because of the worship the children were giving him. And the most remarkable thing is the response of the Messiah. He accepted the worship of the children. Do you not hear what they are saying? Silence them. Jesus said what? If they were quiet, even the rocks would cry out. Do you get the magnitude of what he just said? If these people who were called by my name, ignored me, then even very, the very nature itself would what? Cry out with praise. Think about when Jesus crossed the, the Galilee. Remember this? When we had the storm on the, on the sea, and they come into the Gadarenes? What was the first thing that happened when they got into the Gadarenes? Who did? A demon-possessed guy came out of the tombs, and then what happened? Wait, 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 you, you skipped too far. <laughs> give, give me more detail. What ha when that guy came out of the tombs, what happened? The demon cried out, Jesus, son of Nazareth, or son of God, we know who you are. Did you come to cast us into the pit before our times? If even these children would, would close up their mouths, even the rocks, even the demons would cry out who he was. Do you get it? Because in that realm... Everybody knew who Jesus was. Even the rocks would cry out with praise.
Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons want to know where does Jesus ever say that he's God. There's lots of places that he declares that he's God. This is one of them. Even the rocks would cry out with praise. Who had the ability to do that? So in the end, <laughs> as you... <laughs> I love when I don't reproof my stuff. Um, has your recognition of... <laughs> Has your recognition of Jesus gone beyond singing songs on Sunday? You say, what do you mean by that? These people are crying out, Hosanna, 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 right? And four days today, they're singing what? Crucify him, crucify him. So you're here. But where will you be two hours from now? What about tomorrow? What's your relationship with Jesus all about? Is it only for the, the fun gathering? You know, coming into the temple, into the city, where everything's all exciting? Or is it every day of the week? Are you willing to proclaim him in the public square? I think there of the, the blind men who were being told to what? Be quiet, be quiet. And they did what? They cried even louder. Is Jesus the king of your life? You are... The temple of God. So the question is, are you what? A house of prayer. Mm. Jesus said, it's written, my house shall be a house of prayer. And so if you know Jesus as your Savior and the Holy Spirit is living within you, then you ought to be a what? A house of prayer. Have you allowed the temple, quote unquote, to be polluted? Just think about that. You are the temple of God. If you know Jesus as your Savior, has the temple been polluted? Is there then finally a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, I pray that you would help, that you would open our eyes. Just as um, they cried out to you, Lord, that they wanted to see. Lord, we want to see. We want to see you. You have declared yourself. You have revealed yourself so mightily in your word. From the beginning all the way to the end. From the Alpha to the Omega. From Genesis to Revelation. You are exalted. Lord, help us to see that we might praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.